Welcome to Accelerate OC, the only show focused on the people leading innovation in Orange County. Join our host, Carrie Ransom, in his conversations with the trendsetters, entrepreneurs, investors, and leaders here, because it's time to Accelerate OC. Welcome to the Accelerate Show. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by OC4 Venture Studio, a new tech startup company building platform and community here in Southern California. We've got a number of really amazing founders building really interesting companies here in our studio. So if you're looking for help with your startup, you want to get involved with the next generation of really exciting startup companies in this community, or want to join up and learn more, you can visit us at oc4b.com. I'm really excited to have my friend Anthony Saba with me on the Accelerate Show today. And before we get to hear from him, let me tell you a little bit about Anthony. He's currently the Executive Director at Samueli Academy, which is an amazing charter high school in Santa Ana that he helped establish many years ago. And I had the great privilege of meeting him shortly after he moved to Orange County uh, from outside the area to help establish this. And they use a really innovative student-centered approach to how they do education. And as a public charter high school, it's also available to all students and they they don't have a tuition fee. Um, They can even take high school and college classes at the same time. They have an amazing new facility that I had the privilege of getting to see recently with Anthony that also includes a foster youth facility for folks who need that really stable living environment to enable them to excel academically. And uh, for many, that's a a critical part of how they even can put themselves in a position to learn. Um, They've also added a junior high recently as well. So they're now in the, the, world of doing not just um, high school, but also junior high for students there. And so we'll talk a lot about the school's journey and how how it's come to be just an incredible first several years of existence. Um, He's been here about 10 years and uh, it's amazing that we've known each other that long. And uh, he has had a couple decades of high school experience in both classroom and administration and just a passion for involving students in the learning process that I think is really innovative. Um, One of his philosophies is uh, teaching philosophy to allow students to take an active hands-on role in their own learning. And as a parent of of three kids, um, I think I try to do that at times, but I'm sure there's a tremendous amount that I can learn from Anthony in that regard. Anthony, it's great to have you on the show today. Hey, Kerry, it's an honor to be here. I just appreciate the invitation, my friend. Good to see you. Absolutely. Great to see you. So let's get to the starting line. You know, I love the mission of Samueli Academy, which I'll read, is to ignite the passion within all students to reach their greatest potential through a nurturing and innovative learning environment. So talk about how does that actually happen at school? Well, i tell you, this whole thing started over 20 years ago uh, through the Orangewood Foundation and Susan Samueli and Sandy Jackson, two local philanthropists, and they realized early on that 
these foster youth, they only graduate high school 54% of the time in California. Hmm. And these other students that we're hoping to serve in the surrounding Santa Ana area didn't do much better. And so we knew right away we needed to do something different to really try to impact those, those rough statistics. And so you just hit on two of them, this nurturing and innovative environment. And mm -hmm. I'll start quickly with nurturing. And it really is about having the right personnel and, and the teaching and support staff that are here for this mission. And uh, so many, you know, you have to go through so many interviews to get a job here. And so much of our questioning is uh, about really opening your chest and looking into your heart. And why is it that you're here? Are you looking for a job or are you looking to work with these types of kids? And so we've done a really good job from a hiring process of getting uh, adults who really care about these kids hmm. and do really nurture them and then set up sort of an atmosphere where they can thrive. And from the innovation standpoint, you know, you've seen, unfortunately, you didn't see the kids in the class thanks to the COVID, uh, COVID-19, but really this new age way of teaching, gone are the days of long lectures that you and I maybe remember. We do very little lecturing here. We do what's called hands-on project-based learning where the students are learning the same standards of any public school. We are a public school, mm -hmm. but they, they, learn, they learn them through these hands-on, real-life, authentic projects mm -hmm. rather than long lectures and, and note-taking. And so it really is a combination of caring individuals with this, this, high, this highly technological, uh, new-age way of learning. And from a technology standpoint, we're a one-to-one -one laptop school. So when you combine technology, caring instructors, and hands-on learning, it really is magic for all kids. But specifically for the demographic we're trying to serve. Mm, yeah, that's amazing. So this may seem like a strange question, but why do you see that other public schools are not rapidly adapting to this type of teaching and learning environment? Well, I certainly don't want to position this as an us versus them because we're sure. all on the same team here and everybody has their different strengths and maybe opportunities. But, but for us, and, and, I, and I do come from a big public school setting, my first 13 years were in very large schools and mm -hmm. it's really hard to impact change on schools maybe that have been around for a very long time mm -hmm. with their own culture and their own way of doing things and, and maybe two or 3,000 students as opposed to the six or 700 that we have here. Sure. And it's very difficult to do that. And so I had the great fortune of being the first employee at this school and building mm -hmm. it from the ground up. And so even from the facility and from the, every instructor, it was hired with this idea in mind. Mm -hmm. And so there really wasn't a change agent needed. It was how we mm -hmm. were born and how we grew. And, you know, it would have been much more difficult to, to pull something like this off going into an established school of sure. say 3000 and trying to move a staff of 200 this way, who's been doing, you know, things for a very long time. So you know, I, I do think more and more schools and even educators are starting to realize that there's a different way to reach students. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I say that because they visit our school and we go out and help them. Um, but I do think a, a change like that, you know, it's just going to take time. I do think it's heading in the right direction. Um, but um, we just had a great advantage here of really building this thing from the ground up with this vision. Sure. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing because a lot of the people that come on my show, I mean, they're innovators, right? You're an innovator. That was why it was such an obvious fit for me to, to invite you on is what you were just describing is exactly what an entrepreneur goes through when they're trying to decide, well, can I go compete against this big established company with this new idea? And, you know, maybe they could just copy me and go do it. Well, the reality is for a lot of the reasons that you cited, they often can't. Right. Like they don't have the change agent. They don't have the culture. They don't have the will. Right. There, there's a concept called the innovator's dilemma where once you actually have some success, you focus more on keeping that than right. continuing to innovate. 
And right. so all of these things are exactly what you just were describing that you, you clearly experienced as well. So such a great right. lesson that to, you know, sometimes to create the right kind of environment, the right kind of culture, the right kind of change, you've got to start with the blank sheet of paper, which you did. So it's amazing. And just like a small business, you know, we, you know, students and, and families have to choose our school, right? Uh, you know, if you open up a little mom and pop burger shop, if you don't have people coming in, you close down. Well, at a small charter school like ours is the same way. If we don't put out a product or a service that, that is appealing to other people, they don't come and therefore mm -hmm. we close down. And so, you know, it does constantly push you almost like a small business, even though we're a public enterprise, whereas those bigger traditional schools, they're going to get kids from down the street, you know, you know, they may be good schools, they may not be as good as schools, but those kids are going to come in either way. So it is very motivating, but I love that part of the job here. You know, we, we need to be as good, if not, you know, different in serving these kids effectively or else, you know, we do close down. But fortunately, it's quite the opposite. We have a long waiting list of kids, and, and so we've had a lot of success. That's great. Well, I was, you, you're a humble guy. I was going to let my audience know that you have a huge waiting <laughs> list uh, of kids. So um, so let's go a little a little bit deeper under the hood, Anthony. So, I mean, you've been at this now for about nine years since your early planning mm -hmm. stages. As you look back, like what are the top couple highlights of this experience for you? Yeah, I'd say, you know, the top few highlights, our first graduating class is pretty mm -hmm. remarkable. You yes. know, um, this the school really was built um, around the, that those terrible foster youth statistics. And so, mm -hmm. You know, although maybe in the state of California, foster youth only graduate high school 54% of the time, we've graduated 100% of our foster youth. Mm. So that's clearly Amazing. a highlight. Mm -hmm. But set apart from that, we've graduated 99% of our kids in general. 92% go on to college, but then mm. even more importantly than that, 85% are persisting through college, which yes. is more than twice the national average we're very proud of. And it's probably mm. a good spot to say, you know, we don't handpick our kids. We really truly are a blind random lottery mm -hmm. unless you're a foster youth. The foster youth are automatically enrolled and then we are a blind lottery for everybody mm -hmm. else. So it really is a good representation of a lot of kids who maybe need and want something different and we're able to kind of meet that need with this engaging hands-on authentic learning that's just showing really good results and we're, we couldn't be more proud of what we've accomplished. Well there's I mean I think there's something also to learn there from I mean what you said earlier about this marketplace where you're you're you've got a product in the market that people have to actively choose. Yeah. And if you know if you're not producing a great product they 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 have a, a yeah. fallback to go somewhere else which right yeah. now in many cases isn't desirable. So you are getting a self-selecting group that are at least curious, at least interested, which is which is great but it seems like that is, is a, a instructive tale for other other schools to consider and and really um, you know that that is probably what's going to raise everyone's game and maybe maybe get people into the right environments where they are going to be more likely to be successful because I think it, everybody's well intended we want all kids who uh, can become educated to be as educated as they can be and you know the to me this manufacturing system that we've had for education that was designed a long long time ago uh, in an era where the the world we were producing kids out into is very different than the one today yeah. um, hopefully you're, you're I mean from my perspective hopefully your example becomes the the shining light of what we should be doing. Not every school should look exactly like yours, but that we should understand mm -hmm. what these various clustered needs are amongst students. 
Yeah, not every school should look like ours. And you bring up a great point. You know, there isn't one school anywhere that's for all students. There that's just right. isn't. You know, as much as we, we would love to believe that, it's just not true. The high school I went to, you know, I had to go to when I was in high school because yeah, it was the closest me. one to me. Mm -hmm. But I knew darn well that there's this one across town that might have had a program that I would have loved that my school didn't. And so that's, you know, school of choice is a very hot button political issue. But the reality is, again, different schools serve different needs. And and in our school, we, we certainly serve a need, but we're not for everybody. If, you know, we don't have certain programs like a marching band, we don't have football, you know, and so if you if you really care about those things, don't come to our school. But we do pride ourselves in small class size and hands-on project-based learning, an engineering track, a design track. And so, you know, we, we meet with families all the time who say, hey, you know, this school may or may not be for me. And once they learn about it, sometimes it isn't. And that's the sure. great thing about having choice, in our opinion. But you did want to, you did bring up something else I want to touch on is it is nice to have um, students or families who want to come. There's an engagement yes. automatically. But I will say, though, Carrie, also, we do have a host of other students who want their families who want their students here because they have found no success elsewhere. Mm. Sometimes that student may or may not even want to come mm -hmm. themselves because, mm -hmm. you know, they develop friendships at, at, at the maybe more traditional schools. And so we, we don't only have students here who are self-selecting. We have students here who somebody says needed something different sure. because of their academic, yeah. you know, you know, background. And so it really is kind of a neat mix, but at the end of the day, we're very proud of who we are and what we do. Sure. Well, and I think what, what I find so refreshing too is that like the results speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. So what, you know, it, clearly it's a very student led student focused, you know, active hands-on. I think that the, you know, as I spoke about earlier, this idea of they need to take some ownership and accountability. So clearly you have something that is working that others right. should be able. So whether they're there by their own self-selection choosing, right. or this mm -hmm. is the last resort, it's working. And so, you, you know, you should take, take credit for the fact and be proud of the fact that it is working. And um, there's a lot for others to learn from that. And um, the fact that, that it's working beyond. So you're giving them in some cases foundational capability that, or the confidence that they can take with them to those next phases of, of life. And so, I mean, I'll tell you, I could feel it when I was there. So I had the chance to yeah. go, you know, come visit. And I was so inspired, just, you know, these new buildings, these, this facility, and even the, the culture. I mean, you have this incredible maker space and this gaming lab, and you talked about design. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, you've raised an amazing amount of money for this school and these facilities. Uh, you're having a huge impact. I mean, you know, what's next? Yeah. For the school. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And really quickly on that, Ray, we have raised a lot of money for our facilities. You know, being a charter school, um, small charter school has got some advantages and disadvantages. Mm -hmm. One of the disadvantages is we don't receive that the sort of tax money that the big public school is getting. So mm -hmm. just to have our building, we did need to raise that. But fortunately, we've had success and we found some people who have the same heart that you do and just helped us build this thing. But in terms of what next, uh, this year we opened up a seventh grade. Up until now, the first seven mm -hmm. years, we've only been a nine through 12. Well, this year we started to build the seventh grade and then next year will be a seven through 12. Mm -hmm. What we found is it will be really helpful to get these kids two years earlier than we've been getting them. Many of them are pretty disengaged when we get them, um, you know, haven't experienced a whole lot of success. And this will give us that two year buffer before mm -hmm. they start those high school years. But not only that those junior high uh, years, but we've, we've got dorms that like you mentioned this in the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, 
We are opening our foster youth dorms on site. They were supposed to be this month. The coronavirus has bumped us back a little bit. So we're earmarking January now, hopefully, where we're actually going to have foster youth living on our campus uh, while they attend our school. So those Amazing. are two real big initiatives that we're starting for the first time ever this year, the seventh, eighth grade, and then, and then the dorms. And so it's hard to look too much further than that at the moment, but uh, we're just excited to get those kids on campus and start serving them even younger. So a lot of great stuff happening. Yeah, amazing. And I mean, from the facilities that I saw too, it just seems like there's such a great opportunity um, to showcase those to the community to really show this very relevant, practical, hands-on. I mean, you talked about the this project-based mm-hmm. learning environment and, you know, I could see firsthand, like they're doing things that are very relevant and timely with the world that we're in and, and where things are going. So, mm-hmm. I mean, as you think about that, you know, one of the things I talk about is that like the world of work that you and I entered into, um, you kind of had a pretty good sense of um, most, most companies, most jobs, things had some history to them. They had some stability. You know, we're now seeing new industries and, and new jobs emerge at a rate we couldn't eat, We can't even really fully appreciate or imagine. And so, you know, you have, you know, jobs 10 years from now that no, nobody will have ever done before. Right. And so this ability to, to equip today's students for, a, you know, an edge with an educational system that prepares them to learn how to learn, to adapt mm-hmm. to a rapidly changing environment, to, you know, pair them with industries and companies that are maybe just emerging, you know, how, how do you feel like, I mean, obviously your school is doing this, but how do you feel like the educational system can, can continue to evolve to, to prepare people for not, hey, this is the job you're going to do and yeah. you're going to do the same job. And it's almost the complete opposite of that. Of yeah. like, We're not sure what you're going to do and we need to equip you with the most capability and the most optionality. I'd say, I'd say there are two things that, that we do to try to prepare basically for the unknown is what you're mm-hmm. referring to, what the job market's going to be like that's hard to predict right now. And, and two, two things. Number one is we've got this four-year work-based learning program where we actually engage companies through a myriad of facets on our school, you know. Mm-hmm. Many schools, schools I've worked at before, schools I attended, do have a tendency to maybe close themselves off from the outside work world, where where is the exact opposite? We have Mm -hmm. business professionals literally on our campus every single day in a non-COVID world. Mm -hmm. Internships are a graduation requirement out here. Our kids go out to these. They have to in order to graduate. We host multiple career fairs on our campus every year. Our kids get career mentors. We actually have a career advisory council. We're made up of industry professionals that are informing us of the latest trends. And so I think it starts with schools being open-minded and having a growth mindset. Oh, that's my phone. Let me hang up on that. Having a growth mindset to mm-hmm. stay on front of it and, and to talk to the people, the movers and the shakers like yourselves and your listeners to, to inform us what we should be doing so we don't stay stagnant. That's number one. And the, number, the second thing I say is really a commitment to soft skills. You know, one thing is for certain, these kids, no matter what they're going to be doing in the future, are going to need to know how to, sorry about that, keeps ringing, collaborate, how to present, yeah. how to think critically, how to what we call agency, which really is having a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And instilling these soft skills within our youth will serve them well no matter what they do and no matter what the job market looks like in the future. So again, a combination of working, somebody's just very persistent, of working <laughs> 
you know, with a busy guy. I appreciate yeah, the time. I tell you, yeah. Working with companies to stay on top of it, stay sure. bleeding edge at the same time. We'll focus on those soft skills. Again, no matter what our kids are doing in the future, it's going to serve them well. That's right. Well, you know, normally in a normal, you know, non-COVID environment, I would get to do this with you in a studio and we'd have it right. all completely yeah. locked down, but we have to adapt, right? I mean, you do. This about, is a really good example. The yeah, phone's going right. to ring. People are going to walk in the office. Right. The internet's going to get choppy. These things happen these days. We right. have predicted this a year ago. Exactly. Well, that, I mean, that gets to sort of my next question. I mean, these last six months have just been incredibly challenging for everyone. And I think especially all kids in school, uh, you know, you, you guys have a, a particular group in, in your school, many of whom are really challenged in, in their home lives or what, what um, type of home life, highly varied compared to certainly other areas. You know, what, what, are, what have you guys had, you know, give, yeah. give some sense of what you guys have had to do to navigate this. And, and mainly I wanna, you know, also make sure my audience has a sense so we can understand where we can help. Yeah, well, appreciate that. Um, great softball there. I, I, t I tell you, our kids are very are very needy. We serve a very needy demographic. When when this pandemic hit back in March, um, you know, our kids are the, are the kids at home who don't have the internet. You mm. know, so we've really had to scramble to deliver hotspots. But even so, we have a number of kids where they live in a condition such where they can't even get one bar to amplify the hotspot. Mm. So we're trying to install internet for them, but then. Some of our landlords say no. I mean, we literally have kids who, who still don't have the internet. And they've been going to McDonald's parking lots to connect, and that's not safe. And so, you know, challenges like that, we could not necessarily foresee, but it really does amplify the need of our demographic. And then also, you know, so many of our of our families lost their jobs. You know, we, I was just talking to one of our moms a, a week or two ago who was a 24-hour fitness custodian. You know, people like, like that, those labor-intensive jobs, they unfortunately, these last number of months just aren't there right now. And so there's just mm -hmm. such great need, but we've really stepped up. We've, del we've delivered full family meals every single day since March to our families because they literally need the food, you know, in order to survive. And so, you know, I, I would just say to answer your question, how people can get involved, you can get involved in our school a hundred different ways, but just get involved somehow because there are people who are less fortunate than maybe some of us or some of your listeners. And there are so many ways to get involved, whether you come to Samuel Academy or not, the need is there and the need is great. And it really, in our, in our County, it's just a 20 minute drive across, across town to really mm -hmm. get a feel for it. So it really has been, um, you know, this virus has disproportionately impacted our school community. Um, and it really is uh, sad to see, but, but we are just busting our butts 24 seven here to, you know, to really try to meet in the middle there and to do what's right for these families. And we really, really are. Although it's not perfect, um, you know, we've done a good job here, as many have, mm -hmm. uh, thanks mm -hmm. to the help of people like you and so many others. So how, I mean, as you think about these, uh, these kids, right? I mean, we have, just to, to highlight some statistics, you know, in our county, half of all the high school kids in this county are on free or right. heavily subsidized lunch. And you know, at your school, it's significantly higher than, yeah. than half, uh, as it is in many other schools around the county. And you know, COVID just has such that risk of of driving a further divide into you know, we have an incredibly prosperous area uh, and country, for that matter. But this divide just continues to to expand. From you know, from your perspective, as you think about kids, I mean, we want to keep them engage, we want to keep them hopeful. And 
um, you know, give them a sense of that support and confidence. What, what are things you feel like we can be doing to, to make sure we don't lose them? Because that, that to me is the biggest risk is, is, you know, how do we get them back? But how do we keep them, help keep from losing them? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Number one, it really does, and I'd say the resources are really important. You know, your and I's own kids go to a different type of school sure. where, you know, the, the resources are there from the family or even the school standpoint to step up and give additional supports, mm -hmm. whether it's hotspots and laptops or extra tutoring or remediation. You know, school like Samuel A. Academy, you know, we struggle with that. We don't have the parent base clearly to even ask a penny for it from, and we never would. And so we really do have a need for re even time, talent, and treasure is the way we say it. You know, you can donate your time and your talent here to mentor kids during their biggest need, and our kids are going through their biggest need. But, you know, let's be honest, at the end of the day, we do need treasure. You know, we receive the same basic funding as those schools across mm -hmm. town that your and I, you know, sons and, and daughters go to, yet we have a bigger need here. And so, you know, we have this great alumni program that's now needed more than ever. We have kids that are off in college who've really kind of fallen you know, taking a few steps back during this mm -hmm. and they don't know where to turn their, you know, most of their parents didn't even attempt college, let alone sure. finish. And so, you know, whether you want to be a mentor for alumni or mentor for current students, or you have the ability to donate some treasure to help us with the remedial courses or, or technology, or those mm -hmm. resources, time, talent, and treasure would be the number one thing we need right now, but also just, just a raise awareness. So many people just don't understand that across town, the need is so different and, and so great compared to what, maybe what they see or feel every day and just get involved. So again, I, I would, I'm circling back and beating a dead horse here, but just get in, involved one way or another, whether it's your time, your talent, your treasure, your advocacy, you know, is important as, as we look to vote and, and, and impact mm -hmm. laws. There, there are people with great needs. And, and if you're not one of those, you know, we're pretty lucky, pretty blessed and see yes. what we can do to help those who, who are less fortunate. Yes. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and, you know, I, I know from uh, at least my, my listener group, there, there's going to be a really resonant ears. Um, and that, yeah. you know, this, this means a lot. We're, we're trying to do more than just build companies. I mean, this is, this is how we change the world together. And it is a, you know, it's a team sport as I think about it. Yes, it so is. one of the things that I think is really cool, I mean, I, I love to bring and, and meet really innovative, um, you know, entrepreneurial thinkers. And I absolutely put you in that category. You know, you, you again, very humble, but you, you're being asked by other schools around the country even mm -hmm. to consult with them and share yeah. the experiences and, and, you know, I'll call it the playbook that you've really developed. You know, what, what is it? Like, what are they finding so incredibly innovative? Because I think, you know, it's, it's incredible what you've done here. And again, another example of somebody doing it right here in our community and getting recognized nationally for it. But what, what is it that, that you really uh, find that they're picking up on? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. And I have been fortunate enough to travel around and try to help others while continuing to learn and push myself sure. at the same time. But I think what, what many schools are realizing is, is what we've talked about in the beginning. The old way of doing education just doesn't work for these kids. It just mm -hmm. doesn't. I could point you to a million statistics that kind of prove that. And, sure. and so the way to, the way to change that is to really go about this authentic hands-on learning, you know, it's getting businesses involved in the classroom, but showing kids not only what they need to know, but why they need to know it. And mm. so, 
you know, I remember when I was in art class in, in high school, I would, you know, the teacher would say, here's how to draw a 3D apple. And there's an apple in front of me. Well, it's kind of boring, but I'll do it. But, you know, here it's so much more than that. We've got our kids are working with the House of Blues to design grand opening posters. They're working with the Anaheim Ducks to create T-shirt designs, you know, not just showing them what they need to know, but how it, Im you know, impacts the real world sure. when it comes to mathematic equations like perpendicular bisectors. You know, who even remembers that anymore? But when we were taught at Carrie, you and I, we were lectured at for 45 minutes, mm -hmm. you know, and then you just took the test and you let it go. Remember over the weekend, yep. it was just gone and out yep. of your brain. Well, well, here, our kids will work with engineers from AT&T to put cell phone towers in the city of, you know, fictitiously, mm -hmm. put cell phone towers around because the real men and women who do that work, they use math. They use sure. perpendicular bisectors and other formulas to really do the real work. So if the real men and women are out there are doing using these things why would yes. we not engage our kids and along those same lines and so it, that's what these schools are finding out that there's a way to teach these standards and there's a way to get maybe high test scores that that's what's important to you that that's maybe more or at least better or different than just flat lecturing because you know who what kid let alone adult you know wants to listen to those 30 40 minute lectures right. they just don't that's they right. want to get their hands on something they want to understand why they're learning it i yes. was never taught why i was solving for x I don't know that you were either. Mm -hmm. We just solve for X to get that grade. That's well, here right. at Samueli Academy, we teach you why you're solving for X, how mm -hmm. it works in the real world, and who else is doing it, and then get them engaged uh, in the process as well. And that, that's some of the, 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 the most important things that these other schools are starting to see. There's just another, there's a different way to teach and learn than we remembered in high school and we were even taught in our credentialing program, and it's far more engaging than, than those times decades ago. Yeah, that's so powerful. I, I'm sure you're familiar, uh, you know, there's a, a guy who has a great book, Simon Sinek has a book and it, it's called oh, yeah. start, start with the why. And, Absolutely. The and, right? and, oh, yeah. I love yeah, Simon and, on Ted talks. He's one of my favorite Ted talk guys. Start with the why. And that's one of my favorites. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it works in the real world, right? In the, in the mm -hmm. corporate world as well. You know, you're trying to lead a group of people. You're start, trying to start, you know, start a company to go change something in the world and you you really need a why why are you doing it why are we doing this why are we making this decision that that's the level of expectation that most people have today and and that's what they expect from their leaders and so you know the having that philosophy in a school is going to inspire and excite students mm -hmm. and i'm sure your your faculty as well and oh. so you know, are there are there things in in the culture that really help reinforce that and and maintain that accountability? Because sometimes we, I, I think at times as a parent, as a teacher, we want to say, just do it because I said so. Exactly. But we know that to your point, the long term consequence of that is probably not a positive thing. Like they're gonna they're just gonna forget it, or um, they're going yeah. to shut down and not be open to learning. In the case of our demographic, they're just not going to do it. I mean, it's statistics prove that these kids don't learn that best that way. You know, if you look at the graduation rate, maybe on our side of the county or for this demographic or any metric you look at, they'll tell you, okay, some, there's a disparity there. And I'm not pointing the fingers at anybody, but I am here sure. to say that as educators, we can, we can make a dent in that. And we are making a dent in that. Hmm. Well, Anthony, we both uh, have kind of come here to Orange County from other places and sort of found our way here. So, you know, as you look at your personal journey that has, has thus far led you to here, you know, what, what as you look back, what do you go, wow, that is pretty amazing that, that I've been able to, yeah. to, to make it to this place. 
Yeah, it is, you know, moved from, from Kern County 10 years ago. And it really is something I try to instill in our staff and students. And that is, it's okay to take risks and, and, and fail every once in a while. You know, I had a pretty comfortable living uh, back there at a stable school. Things mm -hmm. are going well, but I saw this need. You know, I could move to Orange County, impact these foster and these underserved kids in, in a brand new school from the startup that didn't even exist. Mm -hmm. You know, that growth mindset of, of putting yourself out there, knowing you may mm -hmm. fail. And I start, I've had a million failures since coming sure. here. But if you don't try hard enough, you don't ever, and we tell our kids this, if you don't fail sometimes, you're not trying hard enough. And it can be very easy to be complacent. And that's, that's what I fought against in my mm -hmm. life. That's something mm -hmm. I'm very proud of. I know you have as well, and I would tell your listeners and, and anybody else out there, you know, put yourself out there, and if you never, ever fail, then you're not trying hard enough, mm. especially when it comes to impacting youth like this. They deserve, uh, they deserve you to put your neck out there for them because, um, you know, it's not going too, too great otherwise. And that's what I would say is, you know, I stuck my neck out here to build something brand new from the ground up, and it's had a lot of success. You know, it's had failures on the way, and, and we use that as sort of a benchmark for our kids and whether you're an engineer or you're an astronaut or a doctor or a lawyer, don't settle, keep innovating, right. keep, keep being on the cusp of something great. And, and uh, you know, knowing that failures are just, just in a step back on the way of four, four steps forward. Oh, that's uh, so much good stuff in there. Uh, I think, you know, the one reason that I started this podcast you know i i would, would told i sat stood up in front of a group of, of my friends here and said there's some amazing stories in this room and far too few people know them yeah. and i'm going to take it upon myself to at least start sharing them i mean you and i could be having this conversation right now over lunch and you know i'm learning a ton even though i've known you for years i'm learning a ton i'm so excited by just your, your view on the world and on education and so much of that overlaps into parenting or into being oh, yeah. an entrepreneur and that, you know, these things are all so valuable that that idea of never settling to me is such a powerful idea. And one of the things that I was hopeful that this would do would give people more confidence, give people more inspiration that there are people in this community who have said, I'm going to go do it better. I'm going to go do it differently. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to be complacent. So any thoughts on, you know, what are other things you think we can do to encourage more of our uh, colleagues here in this area to go take those risks, to go be bold, to go be innovative, because we need them. We have a lot mm -hmm. of problems that still need to get solved, not just in mm -hmm. this community, but nationally i mean you look at what's happened this year and it's like if you're not inspired to go drive change in the world now then hopefully uh you know you you're just living under a rock or something because yeah. there's so many things that need to get fixed or improved how do we get more people to take that up that's a that's a million dollar question right yeah. there you know i i think it's find what you're passionate about and and, mm. and, and a problem you're passionate and do something about it you just you just said that i'll give you another example you know at our school for the first six, seven years, we had tremendous success. We were nine through 12, tremendous success. Mm -hmm. But there were a couple of kids every year who, who we just couldn't reach because by the time we got them as freshmen, it was all, you don't hate to say this, but it's almost too late, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I went to my board and said, look, things are going great. We can easily sit, sit in our dress on our yeah. laurels, yeah. but no, we got, we got to do something about the ones that we're struggling to, to, to help. And so 
we built a junior high and now we have a seventh and eighth grade. That's we, we threw our neck out there. We identified a problem we were passionate about and we did something about it. Same thing with these foster youth. The number one reason foster youth are, are unsuccessful in, in school and in life is their instability going up. Mm. They bounce from home to home to home and school to school to school. We saw a problem. We're passing by foster youth. So what do we have now? We built dorms on this campus and Orange would recognize we got to do something. So we built dorms on this campus. Now we can offset that problem. Now they're not having to bounce from home to home to home and we mm. give them stability. So, you know, for your listeners, for you, you may not be an educator. Maybe your passion isn't kids or even foster youth. Maybe it's the homeless or whatever. Pick up one of the million problems in this in the nation and go do something about it and throw your neck out there. And if you fail, so what? What what do you have to lose? What would what did we have to lose for the foster youth who are only graduating fifty four percent of the time anyway? Mm. Right? And you never know. Magic might happen. You did the same thing. You knew there are great stories out there, so you threw your neck out there and you've got this great podcast now. What was the worst case scenario? No one was gonna listen and you exactly. quit after a couple of episodes. So okay. what? Right. But now you've got these great people coming on and you're inspiring others. And so for anybody listening, find your passion, whether it's education, a podcast or something else, and go be a change agent because somebody somewhere needs you. That's right. That's, that is so, so good. So I, I so appreciate your optimism and just your outlook, Anthony. It's so, so yeah, cool. So as you continue, right, I mean, you have that growth mindset, you, you, you're not willing to be complacent. How do you keep yourself sharp and innovative? Yeah, so, yeah, so ironically, I'm not just saying this to throw you a softball, but I'm a big podcast guy. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, you already mentioned mm-hmm. I'm a big TED Talks guy. You know, and you look for inspiration. I, I, I don't read quite as much, as much as I should, but I really, on my commute every single day, I'm always mm-hmm. listening to podcasts and trying to figure out, you know, how to be better. I'm always looking mm-hmm. for problems to identify, you know, within education, say, what can we do differently? So learn is, is the answer. Learn and grow. And don't ever get complacent because I promise you things are never as good as you think that they are. And uh, if you're not an avid reader, you probably spend time in the car, find pod. There are a million great podcasts like this one and so many others. And so, you know, professional development's big, but unfortunately conferences aren't real hot right now and the virtual ones are okay. Mm -hmm. And so just find ways to learn about things you don't know and push yourself. Do not get complacent. That's so good. It is funny. I, you know, I've shared this with my listeners a lot. So I grew up in this family business in Indiana. I could have gone back into my family's business. It was, you know, it was around for over a hundred years before I showed up and talk about, you know, things are, they're as good. It's like, well, we, we can keep doing this and I yeah. think it'll probably continue, but I just couldn't do it. It just didn't uh-huh. fit my personality. And, and I think that, you know, I use that often as, as foundation for me of to your point. It's like the moment you start relaxing, uh, you're you're dead, right? I mean, it's it's like you either you either keep growing or you're going to start dying, right? And and we all know that there's an end, but let's go live our greatest purpose and have the biggest impact we we can while we can. Couldn't have said it better myself. In Bakersfield, California, where I grew up, there's a Saba's Men's store. It'd been there forever. It was the second oldest store. My family owned it. Mm-hmm. All the men in my family, clothing store. And I was sort of destined for that my whole life. Yeah. But it just wasn't for me. Like you said, yours yeah. wasn't for you. And now, lo and behold, I'm living in Orange County and having an impact on these, on these needy kids. And so, you know, who, who knows where life will take you? Just uh, do something good with the time you're given. Oh, so good. Well, Anthony, this has been a amazing conversation as i knew it would be and i'm so a lot of fun i'm so glad you've come on so last lap here i i mean you've shared so many great lessons and advice 
uh, as you think about the, you know, the leadership lesson that you've learned in your life uh, that you would want to share with others, what, what's the one that you'd want to leave with, with my guests? Yeah, I would say go fail at doing something great. And I've said this before, and I'm circling back, but that, that really is, I was, you know, 10 years ago, I was stuck, I was in Bakersfield at a job I like, and I, there was this risk, I was going to give up my tenure and all this things that I had to go risk this new charter school. And thank goodness I did and, and find your example of that and just go do it. Don't have regrets. You know, so I don't have anything to add that I haven't said already, but just to reinforce that fight complacency, go take a risk. And if it doesn't work out, take another one. Hmm. So good. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for joining me today. I mean, amazing perspective, amazing wisdom. You're doing such high impact work in our community at Sam Welly and beyond. Uh, I'm really excited. We're both uh, working with our friend Andrew Lyon over at Chapman uh, at the engineering school there. And, you know, you're doing so many amazing things to accelerate learning in this community. Thanks for all you do. Thank you, Carrie. Appreciate uh, your time here. You've just listened to Accelerate OC. Join our live recordings every Tuesday morning at accelerateoc.com or listen, like, and share anytime from your favorite podcast spot. Let's accelerate OC together. 